Good morning, City Church. My name is Zach Gamble, and I serve on the uh, microchurch leadership team here at City Church. Um, And I'll be reading the scripture today from Hosea. And buckle up, it's a good one. Uh, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblaine, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me many days, and you must be a prostitute. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Zach. What Zach didn't tell you is he's also the assistant coach of the 3-0 Honey Badgers. Third and fourth grade basketball team, many of our city church kids. um, Does a great job. Appreciate Zach. He's a good man. We're going to continue our series, Scandalous Grace, this morning with some of my favorite stories. Um, And honestly, one of the things that I love about this series is I get to share some of my favorite pictures of God in the entire Bible. In fact, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Uh, Our staff is trying to keep our head above water right now. This is the home stretch. People are like, how's the building going? And I'm just like, yep. (laughs) By faith, we're going to be in this. And so I specifically picked a sermon series where I didn't need to prepare that much. (laughs) Just going to be honest. I just get to share my favorite stories. My favorite snapshots and pictures of the heart of God. And these stories are very personal to me. The story I shared last week is my favorite story in all of Scripture. This is one of my favorite stories. This picture today is one of the most beautiful, bizarre, complicated texts in the entire Bible. But I hope you lead today with some snapshots and some pictures of God's heart towards you and me. These are pictures of God's relentless pursuit of us, relentlessly pursuing us. And we call this scandalous grace because all throughout scripture, you get these pictures of God, God just blowing kind of the roof off of what is normal and what is right and who's in and who's out. And what happens is if you built your life on works, performance, or the law, you're outraged. How could God let these people in? How could God approve of this person? Have you seen what he or she has done? See, here's the scary part about all this is you can grow up in church, you can know the word of God, you can be theologically sound, you can love Jesus, and you can miss grace. Amen? That's what's scary for all of us. Like you can know it in your head, but does it get down into my heart where I, where I live grace? Because here's what I've learned about a lot of Christians, they don't want grace to get too much out of, out of control. We can't have too much grace, and so if grace begins to get out of control, what I gotta do is I gotta quickly jump into truth and justice and make sure I rein it in a little bit. Man, because what if it just goes unleashed? What would happen? Who knows? I mean, people may come to know Jesus. It'd be amazing. Grace comes from the Greek word charis, which is simply the word gift. How many know is gift is not something you get because you earned it or deserve it. It's something that's freely given, isn't it? And in the ancient world, they would use this word charis or gift 
but they would often only give it to people who they deemed were worthy of it. So maybe, maybe you had a high status, you were high ranking, and so the cares, the gifts, you were, you were worthy. Maybe you were morally upright, maybe you were physically impressive, you're intellectually astute. All the things that we would look at and be like, yeah, at least you have some level of criteria. You're deserving of this, and yet what made this so outrageous to many is that Jesus came in and he didn't follow any of those rules. He turned everything upside down. He crossed the line in regards to grace, and that's what ticked so many people off, is that he would gather the outcasts and the marginalized, and he would take them up to a mountain where he would give his greatest sermon he would ever preach to a bunch of outsiders and nobodies. And then he would choose his 12 by a bunch of people who were unworthy and past their prime, and everybody else had passed over. Last, last week, we read this passage that he would eat and, and table fellowship with the morally corrupt, with, with the people that honestly would have made most people today uncomfortable. Jesus drew near to the sexually immoral. He touched the unclean, the diseased, and the least. See, the world would give charis or grace to those they, those they deemed as deserving, while Jesus would give charis to the least deserving. That's what made all of this scandalous. How many know grace will eventually be scandalous to all of us when it pulls in and rescues someone we so badly want to keep out? How many know there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us? If you're like, no, not me, like that's your blind spot right there. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Because we all have that part of us. I mean, I was talking about a complicated family situation with Lindsay last night, kind of some distant family. And how many know, like even in my life, I realize there are certain people that I struggle to love. There are certain things that I'm like, man, I can love this group. I can love, I have so much compassion for these people, but man, when somebody does this, I just don't know. I struggle. You're like, you're a pastor. You're supposed to love everybody. No, you struggle. I struggle to love certain people. I I think of Jonah. You remember that story in the Old Testament? Jonah, go to the Ninevites. Tell them this message of repentance. No. Do you know the Ninevites? (laughs) They're horrible people. (laughs) They child sacrifice. Like they do despicable, sexually immoral things, I would rather just go on a ship the other way than to go rescue those people. And how many know there's always some Ninevites in our life? Even right now, come on now, if you want to really apply this message, think about who your Ninevites are. This is what we do politically. This is what we do with people that we disagree with. This is what we do when people don't, don't follow our way of thinking or our values. Man, who are those people? Guess what? God is pursuing your enemy. Come on now, sit with that for a minute. God is actively pursuing the person that you may villainize in your life, that you consider the enemy. They're on the other side. God is pursuing them with his relentless love. Preston Sprinkle wrote a book talking about scandalous grace, and he actually wrote in his book about the the case of Jeffrey Dahmer. And I know like Netflix just came out with a documentary, which I haven't seen. Some of you have, and you told me it was like horrible. (laughs) It's like hard to get through. And I don't know the whole story, but in the book that Preston Sprinkle writes, He talks about in 1994, actually, Jeffrey Dahmer, if you know the situation, I mean, the most horrid crimes you can commit of murder and necrophilia and, uh, I mean, cannibalism, all of these things that we would deem the worst of the worst. And yet, in 1994, in a TV interview, he actually says, man, I'm, I'm empty and searching. And this woman is watching this, Mary Mott, and she decides to, to send him several Bible studies in the mail. He reads the Bible studies, writes Mary back and says, I read all of them. Will you send me more of them? So she sends him more Bible studies. Eventually, Mary reaches out to this minister in the area, Roy Ratcliffe, and she says, I've had this conversation with him. He seems to be open. Would you go visit him? 
Roy Ratcliffe begins to go to the prison and meeting almost every week with Jeffrey Dahmer. This is part of the story that nobody really wants to talk about. It doesn't make the documentaries, it doesn't make the stories because what Roy began to see over and over again is, is a heart change begin to happen. As, he, as they begin to, to go through the gospel and read the scripture, he began to see things in, in Jeffrey Dahmer's life begin to change to the point where Jeffrey Dahmer gave his heart to Christ in the prison. Roy Ratcliffe said the most shocking thing about this whole incident is that whenever this news came out, it was mostly the Christians saying, there's no way. It's not genuine. It can't be real. In fact, some things are just beyond even God's capacity to redeem, right? He said it wasn't the world doing this. It was the Christians who were angry and cynical and doubtful of his conversion, whether it was truly genuine or not. Why? Because even in our minds, there are crimes and sins that are too vile, too twisted, too unspeakable to be forgiven. If we, we've got to draw the line somewhere, right? We've got to rein it in before it gets out of hand. But we learn in Scripture that there is no leash to the grace of God. It's untamed, it's unrestrained, it goes beyond our wildest comprehension, which leads us into one of the most bizarre, uncomfortable, and beautiful stories in the entire Bible, the story of Hosea. 750 BC, Hosea is a prophet from God. This is when the the nation of Israel has now been split and divided. Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south. Hosea comes to the northern tribe of Israel, and it's a time of peace and prosperity. But guess what? The Israelites, though they were claiming to be in covenant with God, were not following God. So it's one thing like to say we love God, but they were sleeping with the cultic prostitutes. They were doing all these other things. So they were claiming God with their lips, but not following him with their heart. There was idolatry everywhere. And guess what God does in his love and grace? He doesn't allow his people to persist in sin. People who say grace is not present in the Old Testament, read your Bible again. Grace is the thread that holds everything together from Genesis to Revelation. You pull grace out of the Old Testament and it unravels. Because what you see in exile and everything God has done is God is too good and too loving and too much for us to allow us to persist in sin and death. And he does this with the people of God. No, you're following your own ways. You think this leads to life, but I love you too much because I know it leads to spiritual and physical death. I'm going to rescue you and it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to have to send you into exile before you realize the error of your ways and you return to me with your hearts. That's grace. Amen? How many know discipline is grace? God disciplines us because we're sons and daughters and he loves us and he wants to lead us into life. So the command to Hosea is this, Hosea, go marry a promiscuous woman. How's that for a call? Some of you, God didn't tell you to do that and you went and did that anyway, (laughs) all right? Come on now, let's get real. (laughs) This is gonna be fun. I mean, sometimes the prophet of God, (laughs) I got to stay on that one for a minute. That was good. I never thought about that before until now. Um, Sometimes God would call the prophets to proclaim truth and sometimes they would enact it. It was this symbolic action, like you're going to go live out in front of the people of God, this truth. Thank God we're not prophets. Amen. Here you are, you're God's prophet, you're God's holy man, you're a spiritual leader. Go marry a whore. Hosea, you will love someone who won't always love you back because that's what it's like to be God. 
to my people. And you're going to live this out. And Hosea goes and finds a village woman named Gomer. Small town. Everybody would have known her. And he marries her. She's got a reputation. Here's what I've learned by leading hundreds of people through premarital counseling. Everybody has high expectations going into marriage. Almost everybody. Some people have unrealistic expectations. There's a lot of couples like all of your flaws you just think are going to go away. <laughs> right? I know a couple all the time. I just don't see us ever fighting. And I'm just like, oh, dear God. <laughs> yes, you will. It's not if, it's how. How will you fight? Right? I, just, I just think that we just have something. To, no, it's you're going to go through difficulty. My job in premarital counseling is to close the gap between reality and expectation. My, my job is to set the bar high, but to tell you great, great marriages don't grow on trees. It's going to be difficult. Like I struggled washing the dishes and I got water all over the bathroom before we got married. And I still do that today. Amen. <laughs> I just offset it with some other good things. So she sticks around. That's the reality of marriage. I don't think Jose and Gomer are walking into this with high expectations. Like, this is one of those scenarios, like, Gomer was and is a prostitute. I want you to see this. She was and is. We don't know the situation and the details behind it. She doesn't necessarily change. She just gets married. Hosea, she's going to wound you, hurt you deeply, cheat on you, be unfaithful to you. And again, that's what it's like to be God to my people. And you're going to endure all of this. Go find a worse job in all of scripture than an Old Testament prophet. They were always going to speak to a people who didn't want to hear what they had to say. And then they would do these crazy weird things. I mean, go read the book of Jeremiah where God tells him, go buy some linen underwear. Wear it. Go out to the cliffs and the rocks. Put the underwear in the rocks. Leave. Come back in a few weeks. And when you find them, I'm going to make this parallel between Israel and your underwear. You should read your Bible. It's weird. It's really good. <laughs> There's some stuff you're like, that's bizarre. How would you like to be an Old Testament prophet? We don't know the details, but things have changed from Hosea chapter 1 to Hosea chapter 3. We don't know how much time has passed. We're not given a lot of details about their marriage or why Gomer has left. But the picture is this. Gomer is now a sex slave about to be auctioned off to the highest bidder. It wasn't uncommon Right? If you're a prostitute and you're going around town for someone to, to see an opportunity to make some money, and so here you would be auctioned off, you'd be sold as a slave. Zach just read this, but I want to read this part again. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, go shove, show your love to your wife again, again, though she is loved by another man and she's an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, so I bought her. So I bought her. Hosea, go love her exclusively, even though she will not love you exclusively. And then you get something about a raisin cake. Sounds like a little Debbie snack, doesn't it? Come on now. 
These were almost like a, an aphrodisiac that they would eat before walking into the cultic temple to sleep with the cultic prostitutes. This is what the people of God were doing. They were claiming God and they were living the same lives as the people around them. He said, you love the pleasures and the ways of this world. Right? You're turning to other gods. You're doing what everybody else is doing. You're just following the desires, your own desires. Hosea, go find your wife and love her again. Now this is the part of Hosea that like we don't get all the details, but how many know this is messy and gut-wrenching? Here's God's holy man traveling to the wrong part of town again, asking around. This is the equivalent of going to some deep, churdy, uh, uh, dirty, cheap motel on the wrong side of town, some behind the bar, back alley, no sign place where you walk in and you're looking inside rooms and you're asking around, has anybody seen my wife? Have you seen her? Do you know where Gomer is? Looking indoors, asking around, and I want to stop and I just want to hit pause here for a second because there are pictures of God that have forever shaped my understanding of who God is, and this is one of them. If you were with us last week, you remember when the father gets caught up in the moment, and he looks in the distance, and his young son, who he thinks the prodigal is coming home, and he gets caught up in the moment, and he actually, he lifts up his, he girds his loins, he picks up his, his robes, and he begins to run, because he's filled with compassion. How many know that's the father heart towards you and me? You know what's another picture that I love? Is that you and I are the whore in this story. Welcome to City Church this morning. <laughs> and God is going from room to room. And he's opening the door. And he's searching for us. And how much shame is involved in this process. Remember last week, the younger, younger son is like, there's no way I can just go back home. I just ruined it. I literally wish my dad dead took his stuff and spent it. And as he's doing that, he's trying to lay out this plan of restitution. The father sprints after him. What does Gomer feel like? Once a prostitute, always a prostitute. This is just who I am. This is what I do. The shame, the guilt, and yet God searches for us. He runs after us. In Hosea 3, we find Gomer standing among various other women being sold at a local slave market. At this point, and this is an uncomfortable part of the story, Gomer is not as valuable as the other women being sold. Maybe her physical appearance is repulsive. Maybe she's been sold so many times that people realize her, know her. Maybe she's been unkept or been around too long. Maybe her body was unfit, diseased, scarred, unable to do the duties and the tasks that were asked of her, but we know that Hosea pays 15 shekels and a bunch of barley. We know from history and other accounts in scripture that that was less than half of what most people would have, been, would have paid for. For whatever reason, she's not as valuable. And we don't get the details of this part of the story but this is a picture in my mind of how this goes. Of Gomer with her head down, not looking around, been here before, this is who I am, this is just what I do, I'll never get out of here. And she hears a familiar voice. Can you imagine that? I'll take her right there. Nope, not her. 
not her, her. Right? Half naked, in a room, being sold to a bunch of men who have one purpose. And she hears the voice of Hosea, probably the last voice that she thought she would hear. The man who found her on the streets year earlier and married her. The man who had endured multiple affairs over the years. The man who kept loving her and pursuing her. The man who was genuinely heartbroken when she went back to her ways. The man who found her once again and paid for what was already his. Think about that. Purchased her again. And Hosea continues to love her. He chooses to love the woman who has embarrassed him and rejected him. He chooses to love the woman who doesn't always love him in return. Why? Because that's my bride. That's my wife. And I made a covenant with her, right? I made a covenant to love her. Not when I feel like loving her. But through everything. Here's what we learn if you're taking notes following along. Hosea's scandalous, shameless, one-way love for his promiscuous wife is a mere snapshot of God's grace towards us. While we were still whores, Christ eagerly climbed up on the cross to redeem us from the slave market. Amen? See, this is a one-way love story. There's times that you and I reciprocate our love for God, but his love and pursuit of us never stops. If you've been around City Church very long, you know part of my heart as a pastor, one of my callings in life is to help people get a true picture and an understanding of who God is. I truly believe that most people walk around with such a distorted image of who God is and who they are before God that they can't ever walk in intimacy with God. I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. You can't walk in an intimate relationship with someone you don't believe is good and trustworthy. If you're sitting here today and you think that God's heart towards you is critical, you think God's heart for you or towards you is judgmental, guess what? You will never walk back home like the prodigal son, will you? I can't walk back home. I can't walk back into that relationship. I'm going to have to earn my way, so I'm going to go somewhere else, and I'm going to try to find life somewhere else. And yet when you know God is good, right, you know I can go back home at any time because the Father's heart is for me. See, this is the thing about grace. It's scandalous. It's lavish. It breaks boundaries, it tears down walls, it's extravagant, it's over the top, it's not always rational, it doesn't make sense. It's a gift, right? It's a gift. I've told this story a thousand times. I grew up in the church, I mean, as a young kid, studying the scriptures, I knew the scripture. My grandfather was a pastor, I grew up playing in the church. There was no 14 year old kid who knew God's word as much as I do. I know that sounds arrogant, but it was just true. <laughs> we would memorize books of the Bible and go compete. Knew God's word. Knew the stories, could quote the scriptures. But at that point in my life, I hadn't had an encounter with grace. And over the next years of my life, I would have numerous encounters where the grace of God would so overwhelm me. 
And I am not standing up here today because I know good theology. I am standing up here today because God's grace has rescued me, amen? And I just stand in awe of it. When God redeemed my life, June 23rd, 1998, 10, 10.15 in the evening, it was the grace of God that overwhelmed me. When I was sitting in a class pursuing my Masters of Divinity, I was in a spiritual formation class I did not want to be in. And we were doing a Lectio Divina over the story of Martha and Mary. And I just became overwhelmed with the grace of God as I realized I was Martha in the story and Jesus was inviting me to come and sit at his feet. Moments where God's grace just overwhelms you. That this is a one-sided story. That you and I are Gomer in the story. We're the younger prodigal son. We're the older brother who's standing outside the feast, not sure if we can go in. True grace, true grace always meets us where we are and it invites us into the way of life only found in Christ. That's what grace does. It meets us where we're at radically with the love of God and it invites us into something new and better. And let me tell you, all the church attendance, all the knowledge, all the theology in the world will not be sufficient for you to walk in intimacy and abiding relationship with Jesus. You have to rest and know the grace of God. It has to overwhelm you to the place where I, man, I recognize my need for grace and I freely give it to others. We live in a world that wants grace for themselves but isn't willing to give grace to anybody else. We as followers of Jesus understand our need for a savior. We understand that everybody like us is dead in sin. And without Jesus, without Jesus, where would we be? True grace always meets us where, we are, where we're at, invites us into the way of life only found in Christ. See, the younger son, the prodigal son from last week had to leave and come home. Hosea takes Gomer and he says, stop. This is not who you are. You're not gonna do this anymore. I'm gonna take you back home and I'm gonna love you exclusively and you're gonna love me exclusively. And we're gonna walk in covenant with each other as God intended because this is where life is. Stop your ways, Gomer. How many know that's what love does? Love doesn't leave you where you're at. The woman caught in adultery, you remember that story? One of my favorite pictures of God where the, everybody drops the rocks one by one, walks away. And Jesus looks at the woman who had just been caught in the act. And where are your accusers? They're gone. I don't accuse you either. Go leave your life of sin. Remember that woman that Jesus meets at the well? That's next week. If you would, across this room, stand to your feet. Grab your communion elements if you would. We're gonna take the next few minutes here as we're gathered. If you would just bow your heads where you're at. In this moment, I don't, want to, I, want, I don't want you to think about where you need to go, what you're doing next, your plans for today, what football team you're rooting for. It doesn't matter, they're gonna lose, it's fine.
I want us to allow the Holy Spirit just to move in our hearts today. Maybe you've known about grace, but it's a long time. It's been a long time since you felt the love of God. See, it's the love of God that leads us to repentance. It's the love of God and the grace of God that empowers us to overcome, to leave sin and death. And maybe you just need to get a snapshot of God's grace today. Maybe God going door to door opening, looking for you. Maybe God running down the street in your direction. And God has been pursuing you your whole life. God will never stop pursuing you. The story of scripture, your story is a story of redemption, of God redeeming us. So Holy Spirit, we just ask this morning in this place that you would draw near to us. Maybe some of us who have become critical and cynical and a little bit bitter, maybe we've received some grace, but we've had a hard time giving it to ourselves and to others. God, would you break through this exterior? Maybe some of us have fallen into the traps and the ways of this world of just man, putting some people outside the realm of your grace, making enemies, us versus them. God, we repent. We repent today, God. God, we confess our need for a savior. We ask that you would come and flood our hearts with your love and grace overflow into us, God. Let it become so alive and so rich and so deep in our hearts that there's no other response but to overflow in the people around us. God, we give you our enemies right now, the people that we have villainized, the enemies, the people that we have placed on the outside of your grace, we give them to you today, God. God, you are pursuing our enemies and we pray that you would, would, that you would catch them, that you would transform their hearts and lives, God. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest in grace today. I want to do this real quick. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around right now. I I just, I have a sense that there are some people right now that, that the thing that is keeping you locked up, it is a stronghold in your life right now is shame shame and I just I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to break that off people right now right now in this place I'm not going to ask you to come forward but that's you right now you, you know that there's shame that has been holding you down I want you to just lift your hands right where you're at to God right now right where you're at just lift your hands to him I get this picture in my head of Gomer with her head down, her her eyes to the ground. Can't even look up. I'm not worthy. And Hosea speaks her name. He speaks her name. You are my bride. You're my bride. There's nothing you can do to outrun my love. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would break the chains of shame off of hearts and lives in this room, God. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to allow shame to lock us up, to keep us from experiencing your grace and love, 
to keep us insecure, like we're not good enough. God, I pray right now that that lie would be destroyed in hearts and lives. If that's you right now in this room, I, I just want you to give it to God. I want you to put your eyes up, your face forward. I want you to look in the eyes of your creator and know that you are perfectly loved this morning. God, we release the lie of shame and guilt. We release it right now. The lie that we are not good enough, that we don't live up to your standard. God, we realize, God, that we fall short, but you redeemed us. You made us sons and daughters. You made us heirs. Christ, God, that everything that you have is ours because we're sons and daughters, God. And we don't walk gently into the house of God. We boldly come as sons and daughters. God, we throw away the past right now. God, we throw away the past, things that we can't change, and we place them under the blood of Jesus. We thank you right now, God, that shame and guilt and those chains would fall right now, right now. If that's you, just continue to pursue God right where you're at. And just continue to pursue Him. Allow the love of God to break those chains. Allow His goodness just to rip them. Man, things that you've been holding on for days, weeks, months, years, decades right now would fall off. You are not what you have done. You are not what was done to you. You are not an incident, a moment. You're a child, you're a son, you're a daughter. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God, we just rest in that today. We rest in it, God. We rest in it. We rest in it. We rest in your love. In a world of division, a world of ungrace, God, we just sit in your love and your goodness, overwhelmed by it. Overwhelmed by it, God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. As we take communion this morning, I just believe that this is a thin space where heaven touches earth. I believe that as we take in just a minute the body and the blood of Christ, that Christ is going to meet you wherever you're at, whatever you need this morning, whatever you came in with. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, as we take in just a minute, we invite you to take Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, eat, do this in remembrance of me, that I was broken so that you could be made whole. Let's take the body of Christ together this morning. for the blood of Jesus that washes us and cleanses us that one day when we stand before God he won't see our sin but he'll see the blood of Jesus let's take together this morning would you take the next 30 seconds and would you practice gratitude and thankfulness right where you're at thank you Father thank you Lord thank you for your sacrifice thank you for your gift 
thank you that you went to the cross, that you searched that back alley room for me. God, thank you that you found me, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down if you're in the room. Let me say, if God's doing something in your life today and you want to continue to pray, you can, you can stay where you're at. You can come uh, pray with a prayer team member. We believe in the power of prayer. And if you have something physical in your body, you need healing. We want to pray for healing for you. So please come down, pray with somebody. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you in the welcome room just across the lobby, just 30 seconds of your time. Uh, like Cody said earlier, this is an exciting time in the history of our church. And so begin to pray and believe for God to do great things as we're going to transition. Uh, this fall is an exciting time. We'll keep giving you updates as we get closer um, of what God's doing. We're going to end with our mission statement. Live it out this week. Wherever you are, be the gospel. Be the gospel. God bless you.